We used to pick up the phone for ATP. We had to call the plant to conform customer mm -hmm. delivery date. We had tools in place, but that was just the process that had been passed down, that tribal knowledge. Even though the ERP says this, or the tool says this, you still have to call the plant manager and confirm we can make the delivery mm -hmm. on time. This is episode 140 with Sherry Heinisch and Justin Goldston. On this episode of Transform Talks, I'm joined by Sherry Heinisch, Global Sustainability Services Lead at IBM, and Justin Goldston, Professor and Coordinator of Project and Supply Chain Management at Penn State University. Between NFTs, control towers, crypto, blockchain, AI, the metaverse, and more, it's easy to lose track of where the real opportunities lie. So in this episode, we're going to try to make sense out of the overwhelming amount of emerging technology. Justin points out that in a noisy space, you don't have to listen to everyone else. It's a matter of figuring out priorities as an individual or organization. Then pursue education in the most relevant and valuable fields for you and for your business. Sherry compliments this by remembering what gets her out of bed every morning. This is much more important than whatever problems or information overload keeps you up at night. Sherry encourages practical applications of value-based leadership and identifying self-authenticity. Justin delves into the metaverse and gives us practical use cases for both the business and academic sectors. It's a fun podcast. It's an informative podcast. Listen now to learn more. Hey, Sherry, and hey, Justin, thank you so much for being here on Transform Talks with me. Thank you. It's a pleasure to join. So let's get straight into it. There's so much to talk about. I feel like any supply chain leader, or actually any business leader right now, there are a lot of plates spinning. There are a lot of things out there. There are a lot of conversations around AI, around digitization, NFTs, sustainability, ESG, blockchain. Ah, there's a lot going on. What do you think is the biggest pressure point in supply chain right now? And then equally, what do you think is the biggest opportunity? Justin, why don't you start? This is my bias coming out, but I think that... The biggest problem is that there is a lot going on. And another problem is there's a lot that's available. And there's a lot of C-suite buzzword bingo as, as an individual put it on a conference last year. Like you said, you have NFTs, you have AI, you have blockchain, you have all these things coming out. But one of the most important things that we have to remember is all those things that all the sales guys are pitching is nothing but, they're nothing but tools. They're nothing but tools. There is not a magic bullet, but all of this, in order to understand where you fit, it all comes down to education, right? It comes mm -hmm. down to education. It comes down to, to doing your own research. That's my, that's my crypto pitch, but it comes down to, it comes down to doing on your own research and seeing what fits best for, what fits best for you and understanding what your, what your, maturity is as an organization because people in the, in the industry will say your digital transformation maturity i don't like that term digital transformation but you have to understand your maturity as an organization understand where you want to go there's a lot going on right now but you as an organization you as a leader have to understand where you want to go and you have to understand the things you need the tools you need the knowledge you need as an organization do not listen to anyone else you're not listening to anyone else. You need to figure out what you need as a person, as a leader, as an individual, as an organization in order to emerge. Sherry, what do you think? I like where Justin was going in that we have to oftentimes step back in the midst of chaos and firefighting in, in, as supply chain leaders and start with the end in mind. And I think that 
what often happens is that people get bogged down and they forget in the midst of things that keep us up at night to think about what gets you out of bed every morning and start with that envisioning and reimagining that there's a better way and how how might we work together not only within our organization but within our ecosystem to realize all of those things that maybe are on the list that maybe we haven't really figured out yet but working together and collaborating to to create a better world a sustainable world in my opinion that's what i talk about a lot mm. i think the the other thing too is the coalition of the willing and i think that another thread that, that i want to pull on justin highlighted is that people have to believe that change is possible and they have to be willing to take that first next step. And none of that has to do with technology. It has to do with human beings, maybe not even being passionate, but certainly having the will to change and feeling like that it's in their grasp and that they have the ability within their scope of role or within their scope of influence to make that happen. I also agree there's no silver bullet and in the future of work and automation and certainly in sustainability and circularity, it's about unusual collaborators coming together and working together, different vendors, different solution sets. Diversity is certainly important when you think about the type of divergence we need to create the type of ethical innovation and bring it all together in one beautiful Venn diagram. So yeah, the focus, our faith should be in humanity, not in technology. You see where I'm coming from. I mean, even Justin uh, talked about it, which is the buzzword du jour. You know, it seems if you're going to be cynical that there are people out there making a lot of noise, talking about technology and confusing the issue. When fundamentally, if we look at the supply chain, it's a people process issue. Technology is the tool, right? Like you said, Justin. But again, going back to my earlier point, out of all these things out there, forgetting about the buzzword, what are the biggest pressure points that we should solve? Is it purpose-driven? Is it creating new business models? Is it dealing with crisis? Where do you think a supply chain leader today who is focused on so much distraction, where should they focus? I think they should. So this is going back to Sherry's point. They need to focus on the people first. If you focus on the people first, I think the rest will fall into place. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. I have no explanation. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. <laughs> I think it's an and maybe if we prioritize <laughs> it, data insights, being able to visualize and actually see what's happening. I think that's also important. What I find is that not only are many organizations and, and I come from a supply chain background, I'm not a legacy technologist or a legacy consultant. Our own organizations are siloed. So when we start to look outside of our four walls, you find that data aggregation, data cleansing, data quality, data integrity, and just being able to get a sense or pulse of what's happening, it's difficult. Mm. I don't know that 95% of organizations that exist in the world could actually map their supply chain to the third tier. I don't think they could. And that, but but that that's a fundamental big issue because it speaks to keeping people, keeping customers, transparency, and staying competitive and resilient. So so how I mean, if it sounds so simple, but how do we resolve that? First and foremost, from what I've seen, it comes down to trust, and I think that it comes down to what I talk about a lot in class: VCC, visibility, collaboration, and communication. I think that if you 
include those four things among your business partners from a supply chain perspective, I think that we will achieve, these are my thoughts, I think we will achieve the holy grail from a supply chain perspective. If we are, if we trust our business partners and we share our data and we communicate with them on a regular basis, a number of those, not all of them, a number of those disruptions that we see time and time again since the beginning of time, some of those are, some of those are resolved just based on the premise of trust. But again, trust, that's the people aspect now, isn't it? It's counterintuitive to legacy business models of siloed operations though. So you need to unpick these silos to create that level of trust and collaboration. Yet some of these companies are hundreds of year old companies that are still working on old business models. Yeah, right? agree, agreed. So trust is a very human emotion, but through the lens of technology or supply chain, it's the documented proof of performance that exists that can demonstrate that you do what you say you do. So for me, when, and I agree that what we're really looking for is trust. And that's a lot of, a large part of the work that I lead at IBM is it's a, it's an experience journey. And mm-hmm. it's also being able to point to things. And again, we go back to data and insights unless you can actually show and demonstrate oftentimes, and there are ways that, the sh- that, that these things show up, whether it's NPS, if it's on time in full OTIF, if it's like very specific, hardened, traditional KPIs, where maybe together they, pay, they tell a story of trust mm-hmm. and brand equity and all of the relationships that stand up supply chains, what Justin alluded to. But that's, Again, I think that technology is important. No, no amount of communication, you think about time to value and scale, technology helps. Mm-hmm. I remember, and I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but like we used to pick up the phone for ATP. We had to call the plant to conform a customer mm-hmm. delivery date. And we had tools in place, but that was just the process that everyone that had been passed down, that tribal knowledge. Even though the ERP says this, or the tool says this, you still have to call the plant manager and confirm we can make the delivery mm-hmm. on time. So I think technology is definitely an accelerator. It's something that helps build trust. It's a mindset shift as well, paradigm shift, because you have to be willing to share things about yourself, about your organization and about your data, your ambition, your maturity, in order to take the next step and have deeper collaboration with your partners. Do you think now, if we pull it back down to people, which is what we've been talking about, to create that kind of culture, are there skill sets that we need to hire for, that we need to train for in order to foster that kind of collaborative environment, open environment? Justin, what do you think? I'm an educator and I'm one of the people that say there's a lot of room for improvement within higher education. We need to take a closer look in how we are preparing these future leaders as they enter into the workforce. So I'm coming from the angle of new entrants into this supply chain discipline, right? Yeah. Now there needs to be, in order to get there, there needs to be collaborations, right? Among these institutions with these organizations from a variety of different industries. Now you do see it at some of the large institutions, but it goes down to to the community college level in my opinion, right? You need those people, you need those people with those different trades to work with those organizations so that they understand what these organizations need and what we we as educators need to educate and train people on, 
right? Now, also coming from, from what I'm seeing, the educators, a large number of those educators, one, don't come from the industry, or two, are career theorists and researchers. They really mm -hmm. don't understand what's going on in the industry at this given point in time. And I have mm -hmm. students all the time saying, you teach different. Of course, I come from the industry. I'm not up there. I said, I said, how many times do we crack a book in a semester? Mm -hmm. We bring up the course objectives and we roll. We talk about exactly what's going on in that. We talk about what's going on that week. Mm -hmm. That's where we need to go to in order to have to build a workforce to address the current problems that we have. But again, I'm coming from new entrants into the market. So Sherry can talk about those people that's already established in the careers and that yet continuous professional development because that's another important piece. Yeah, but it's important. It's an important point, Justin. I think so many times we talk about retaining talent and even hiring talent, but you're talking about going all the way down to the community college level. Do you, you know, going back to your point, do you think there should be more collaboration between industry and academia uh, to be able to have realistic expectations of the kind of talent that needs to be brought into the industry. 1000%. And exactly like Sherry said, just like we have silos in business, we have mm -hmm. silos between higher education and industry. Yeah. yeah. Because people with people within higher education will say, oh, you're going to be biased. Here for no, because the book you're teaching out of is two years old. But as soon as you open up, that, uh, as soon as you break the wrapper open, it's two oh. years old. The industry is moving at a pace that is unprecedented. That's where we are right now. So we can't be teaching old business models and old methodologies. So, no, I, I get you. Sherry, what are your thoughts on that? I agree. And Justin and I actually sit on an advisory board for a graduate SCM program at Georgetown. And, and, and also I sit on a board at Rutgers. And what we're leaning into is this concept of experiential learning, bringing in things like podcasts and real-time conferences, access to industry thought leaders and SMEs. At Rutgers, for example, last spring, we started a pop-up COVID resilience class where there were 13 folks from industry, a couple, some of them were consultants, but a lot of them were actually leading change. And it was real-time use case this is what's happening in my supply chain. Graduate students, please help me solve this. And what was really neat was at the end, you so you had 13 specific use cases tied to COVID resilience, but there was a different flavor for each. And the students published a playbook that they could then take with them and they could share with these organizations. And then the organization shared it with their direct reports and their teams. And, and it was just a beautiful thing because- I think to Justin's point, higher education needs a big disruption. The, the idea that you have to be physically located in order to receive knowledge within boundaries is changing. It's also not inclusive. A lot of the, a lot of the Ivy League schools, I think that they've, they've suffered a bit in the past two years, and I don't want to call out any names, but this whole premise in, in Yossi Sheffi and I have talked about this specifically around MIT's program, what they've done with the MicroMasters mm -hmm. and how you have 10 professors that can scale to tens of thousands of students. That would have never happened in a traditional classroom. I think what's changing too is the fact that academia is forming a lot of the boards similar to what Justin and I um, sit on where they specifically target industry leaders and folks who have the experience, 
whether it's adjunct roles, mm-hmm. guest lectures, creating the conduit for internship opportunities, or even walking through the front door when you graduate, the, th- the opportunity that I see is actually reaching back further. So how do we reach specifically underrepresented uh, communities and give them that STEM pathway? And I say STEM or STEAM supply chain. We've talked about this, Maria, yeah. where they can actually visualize themselves in a role like this. And they can say, I know someone in supply chain. Mm -hmm. She came to my ninth grade career day or career fair. And yeah, especially with social media, also targeting using digital networks to increase reach and make an impact because the future of tomorrow looks fundamentally different than today. And in in, in so many ways, in so many ways. We have talked about this before and about the image issue that supply chain has had. If there's any good thing that or any good that has come out of COVID, it's the fact that it's a mainstream supply chain is now a mainstream topic. And Justin, you've been smiling when I said that we have an image issue. I don't know if Sherry and I have talked at length about the fact that we think supply chain has had previously an image issue to attract the kind of not just talent, but diverse talent that perhaps can tackle what's coming ahead. I think we can all agree that we are living in an age of disruption and it's not going to get any better. So we need different minds to all of this. What Do you agree? Yeah. You have to make, you have to make supply. I was going to say sexy, but I'm going to retract my, that, that thought. So no, I think it's supply chain appealing. And to what Sherry talks about, to how Sherry impacted me, first and foremost, this lady right here, she actually is has a huge influence in where I am today. She gave me the, the confidence to believe in myself, right? Mm-hmm. Believe in myself mm-hmm. and feel the way I'm actually about to, I'm actually about to shed a tear <laughs> myself to stay true to yourself. Because mm-hmm. me and Sherry did a podcast, it's two years now, I think, something like two that. Two years, yeah. Where we, where we both got drugged through the mud and we're transparent on it. About so, race yeah, issues. Yeah. <clears throat> But Sherry's actually, so Sherry's actually, she actually did an interview in one of my Georgetown in the corporate social responsibility classes. She's actually the first interview in our class every single week, every single semester. Oh, can you get Sherry to come here? When's Sherry coming? (laughs) You don't care about me? Nah, actually, no, we want to see Sherry. I also talk about Sherry with my undergraduate programs because Penn State, if you're if you're a uh, business student, you have to take supply chain management. So pretty much every student in supply chain management that takes my class at Penn State, they know Sherry. So I share a number of different, those real-time podcasts, right? I yeah. said, she's a senior partner at IBM. You might want to listen to what she's talking about. So that's one thing. That's one thing that's very important. But I think that another thing that Sherry is talking about is that we need to disrupt education. We need to disrupt academia. And one thing I'm doing is, and again, I'm about to throw out a buzzword, but I'm building a university in the metaverse. So okay. I've actually partnered with, I'm actually partnered with an organization, a project called Bit Country within a Polkadot ecosystem. We're building mm-hmm. a full-blown university. We currently have a satellite campus in CryptoVoxel. So if you go into CryptoVoxels, you can uh, search SidTech. My daughter's name is Sydney, so I named after her. Mm-hmm. So you can type in SidTech. We act last this past Wednesday. We held our supply SEM 301 supply chain management class in the metaverse. Really? Yeah. And, and are you Pretty getting awesome. a lot of, well, it sounds awesome. Are you getting a lot of bite from younger people? What about people in industry, people that are established, some people who might not even know how to get into the metaverse? The people in industry, they're trying to understand what it is and they're trying to yeah. understand how they're impacted by it. And I'm trying, I'm trying to throw out as much education as I can on LinkedIn, like one little, one little minute blurbs of the careers in the metaverse and things like that, because people aren't talking about it, 
because they don't get it. So just yeah. human nature. If you don't yeah. get it, you're not going to ask for help. Yeah. So I'm just going to give it to you. I, I, I like <laughs> I, I, I like the metaverse because you can show up as you are and that you can. What I find is that there's this impression that leaderly looks a certain way. And I still find that no matter how much I've done or what boxes I check on LinkedIn in my career, when I show up, no makeup, glasses, no suit jacket on, I am still the same person. But what I find is there's there's still that perception of what a, a senior leader looks like. And it's alive and it's well, Maria. And oh, yeah, for sure. I think the first thing is I encourage everyone to be their authentic self. And in order to shift and change this perception, we actually have to create green space for others to lead. That's certainly something that I'm passionate about almost to a fault. I have what two, two men on my team right now, but the rest are all women and diverse women, young, old, you name it, neurodiverse, create the space and be the change. The other thing that Justin highlighted is, is there a space in corporate America for the metaverse? I'm fascinated. I I think that there's still something that pulls me to -to face-to-face interaction. Maybe Mm -hmm. it's just because we thought the pandemic would be over and it's two plus years Mm -hmm. and I miss seeing people and hugging people. And there's just something that when there are- It's biological. There's a biological need. Yeah. Yeah. I but, still haven't seen Sherry face to face. It's crazy. I've never met Sherry face to face. I don't know if she's two feet tall. I don't know if she's five I'm feet a tall. I'm a I, don't, I don't know. I'm, I don't know if she has yeah. legs. I don't know. I am literally the size of a <laughs> hobbit. <laughs> and it's it's funny because when people when people meet me uh in person, there's always that look, and I know what that look is. It's ooh, you're really short. Is that you? And people always say, I thought you were like five, seven, five, eight. And I'm like, no, I'm almost five feet. <laughs> you're a little pixie. But in the metaverse, you're this giant. No, actually, yeah. in, in reality, you are a giant, Sherry. That's the reality. In reality, you are a giant, irrespective of what your measurements are. But so going back to the idea of the metaverse and the idea of the future, I think as a Gen Xer, 40 plus person, I'm not gonna tell you how old I am either. There's a lot we need to deconstruct about ourselves and the biases and inhibitions we have and certain things that we've been told when we were going to school. Like I remember a couple of years ago before the COVID that I dared to wear, I thought to myself, you know what? I'm done wearing trainers, sorry, wearing high heels at an event. And I decided, you know what? I'm just gonna wear sneakers. I'm just going to wear tennis shoes. And I felt bad. I genuinely had one of these moments of, oh my goodness, what are people going to think? Yeah. And, they're not going to take you seriously. They're not going to take you wearing seriously. tennis shoes. Exactly. It, and so then I realized that moment that, hold on a second, what am I talking about? I am the content of my, my content of me is beyond what I'm wearing. And I think you're absolutely right when you talk about the metaverse offering this open opportunity for change. And that's the change we need. I think I'm excited about the future. Are you guys excited about the future? I can't wait to be in your metaverse, Justin. And I am going to be super fabulous. All right. Give us, give it to us again, Justin, give it to us again. What is it so that our, our audience can find it? You, if you go to cryptovoxels.com, there's going to be a search. There's going to be a search bar at the top and you just type in S Y D T E K, Sid Tech University, and then you'll see it. 
Waterfront University on the bottom level, it's, it's where we have our Gildow. So the Gildow mm-hmm. is a play to earn, play to earn DAO where people are going to play to earn, but then also within SITTEC University, we're developing a learn to earn model. So similar to how we had this huge, this, these huge anticipation for MOOCs where all these Ivy leagues were giving out free education and things like that, but there was only like a 8% completion rate. And if you dug deeper, that 8% completion rate were people who already had master's degrees at institutions. It were the people who who really didn't need the free education, just saying. Mm -hmm. So we're saying, okay, MOOCs didn't work. We're going to pay you to, we're going to pay you to learn and see how that one works out. Incredible. Because this Web3 world is creating a lot of opportunity for a lot of people. And Gary, I'm a huge fan of Gary V. And Gary V, when he's talking about the, the millennials, he was like, millennials now have options. The great, he's like, the, he's talk, people are talking about the great resignation and things like that. And, and with the Web3 is just one, one aspect of it. There's other aspects that's going on. I'm not going to talk about on this mm-hmm. discussion because I have my own thoughts about it. But this Web3 movement is going to transform the business landscape. Agreed. I'm that's, seeing that's a, it right now, right? You now. heard it here it's first. You're building it. Wow. You know? Yeah. Access is the new capital. And I think that a lot of the legacy conduits in what the capitalist mindset, Web3, crypto, certainly what Justin is describing in the metaverse around learn to earn learn, we'll pay you to learn and to upskill and reskill in the future of work and automation. It's an incredible movement. And it also ushers in a new wave of leadership, frankly, that excites me. But you know what I was going to say, I don't think businesses are prepared for this. I, I think if you think, if you look at the fact that we're still talking about the great resignation, it seemed to have come from nowhere to people. But yet those of you in the know, or those of us in the know that realize that there's a paradigm shift happening, perhaps this wasn't such a big surprise. Do you think that leaders have a lot to learn to try to understand the new wave of business models that are coming? They have a lot. They have a lot to learn. They have those those conventional thinkers. Yeah. If they try, if they try to ignore it, they're going to be blockbustered. They're going to be. I love that. I, they're going to be MySpace blockbustered. Wow, I remember Blockbuster. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I remember Blockbuster. Are you kidding me? <laughs> it was Friday night. There was nothing better going to Blockbuster. Actually, uh, as a matter of fact, there's going to there's a DAO, the Decentralized Autonomous Organization, that's being built right now. Yeah. They're going to buy block. They're 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 attempting to buy Blockbuster. I think I think I forgot who owns it. I think it's um, Verizon or something. I don't think it's Verizon, but it's one of the large media companies. They own Blockbuster. So mm-hmm. people are leveraging blockchain and leveraging crypto to come together cr- to create a DAO to put in an op- to put out an offer to buy Blockbuster. That's wow. the Web three movement. That's the decentralized Web three movement. And I just I literally just submitted the first academic peer reviewed journal article of a case study in the metaverse on, on a metaverse project. So I did a, I did a case study on Bit Country, and and I talk about the digital Leviathan. Mm-hmm. So it's based on it's based on Hobbes the Leviathan, where you're talking about you have this mythical beast with this head, and he's referring that to to governments and organizations and things like that. But with this Web three movement, with crypto, with things like that, because it's decentralized, because people are coming together, you're cutting the head off the Leviathan. Absolutely. And the and the and these organizations are ran by the people. DAOs do not have leadership. Wow. DAOs are ran by the people. Govern themselves. 
So you're going to start to see this digital Leviathan emerge and you see some very powerful DAOs that's going on, that's going on right now. And that's happening now. I think, Maria, you mentioned the great resignation. I don't know if that's the right term because it's, I don't know. I think it's the great awakening. So when you start to move to consensus-based leadership, values-based leadership and employment, we are the signal. And I say we collectively because I think I represent a new generation of supply chain leadership in the world and also in technology. And we are the voice and we can shift. We can force the shift by standing up and standing true to ourselves and standing in our values as, as Justin's describing. So it might not necessarily be exactly like consensus-based leadership, but you're able to make an impact and make a sizable change because you're leaning into your values. And that's where you show up in the workplace. And circling back, we, we started with people and we're ending with people. This is not about the buzzwords of technology. This is all starting with people and ending with people. I've got to say, Justin, I really love what you said about conventional thinkers and what's coming. So I think let that be a warning to every one of us to look at exploring different avenues of trying to tackle the problems of the future with maybe unconventional methodologies and unconventional people like the people sitting here. And I will say once again, I had that in the back of my mind when I was in the industry for a very long time. But again, Sherry was the person who actually made me make that transition and make that shift. I, I wouldn't say I've been, I've been a renegade in the industry, but I felt that the industry tried to muffle me. Yes. You know, but then- Because you didn't fit a box. That's the thing you'll see with mentors. You'll think you're alone, but until me and Sherry had a conversation one time, I was like, huh, she might be a female version of me. And look (laughs) at her. She didn't care. And look where she's at. You know what? Yeah, I'm going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Take the first step. Yeah. I I, want to have a meeting in the metaverse. Justin, you're going to have to help me set it up with my team. I want to start having meetings in the metaverse. We have a no, no video Friday. It would be interesting to start transitioning in, in, in a remote workforce. You'll have to set up a crypto wallet. If I set up a crypto wallet, then you'll be able to control, you'll be able to control that building the metaverse. And actually, so I got, there's three levels. So you have the guild now, the gaming on the bottom, second floor, you have a lecture hall. And then third floor, you have a large lecture hall. You have, so I have a partnership with women in blockchain Canada. Um, yes. My, my girl, my homegirl, Justina down in Canada. And then if you're on, on that third floor lecture hall, so we have the Women in Blockchain Canada on the wall, but then you have two massive pictures of female NFTs. I love this. I absolutely love this. I think, think about the, it. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, sorry, Sherry, is that maybe the next time we all meet is going to be in the metaverse. Sorry, go ahead. I, I was going to say, I love the idea of even transitioning global town halls. So I work in a large organization, 350,000 plus people. What better way to walk the talk of inclusion in all forms, in all shapes, sizes, colors, creeds, to create this sort of space where people can meet you wherever they they are, however they'd like to show up and participate meaningfully in that way. So I think it's a great idea. And and certainly reach out to Justin, whoever's listening. I I adore Justin. We both have provocative points of view. And the podcast that he mentioned is one of the most downloaded podcasts. And we certainly did touch some no-no areas 
but we leaned in. That's all the time that we've got. I want to thank you both for being here. I want to thank you both for being provocative and for helping us remember that unconventional thinking could help us get through these unconventional times, if that's for sure. So thanks so much for being here. Thank Very you. Forever. And for those of you listening, we'll catch you at the next one. Thank you.